Hear me, no one sees me, no one. Hear me, no one sees me, no one. I'm off the radar. Hear me, no one sees me, no one. Hear me, no one sees me, no one. I'm off the radar. It's uh, five minutes into this stream. Um, how you guys doing? Ready. You ready? So we did five episodes in preparation. The final five. You watched all five? Yeah. Wow. I'm impressed. Well, we, did, we did four. We, we only did seven. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. We watched six yesterday. And... And four today. I'm, I'm impressed. We did it in the final two hours beforehand. I just rewatched uh, My Mind Was a Funeral and uh, the Christmas episode. Those are the ones I rewatched today. Mm -hmm. so. That was good stuff. It's pretty lit. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas in April. Yeah. I forget that the <laughs> show actually goes through like a full year. They didn't, yeah, they, they do some jumps in between. Like they're pretty good about jumping time and making it kind of obvious. Yeah, it's yeah. the one thing, it's the one gripe I have about the show, because it doesn't really indicate it very well. 
Except for, like... Kind of figured out in the first couple minutes. Yeah. Because this definitely starts in, like, late spring, right? Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anywho, let's, um... Oh, yeah. Let's jump into this. I start the show. For some reason, the audio keeps spiking on OBS, so I hope people... I hope it's not too loud on OBS. If so, please chat, put in the chat if you're watching, um, if this is too loud, um, cause I can, I can adjust that. Just, is peaking on my end a lot, but. Okay, well, um, welcome to Late Night with Lucas 2 Blue. Uh, this time it should be less jittery, so hopefully you can watch as well as listen if you want to. Um, we, uh, I got a better router in the house and uh, faster internet speed, so we're cooking with gas now. Uh, last time we were cooking with uh, sticks bio, bio and fuel, biomass, and uh, uh, maybe a tiny lighter. Now we're cooking with a uh, uh, propane tank. It's 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 moving. It's pretty great. Um, <laughs> So welcome to the show. We're talking about the Apple TV Plus exclusive show, Dickinson. Uh, so for those of you who haven't seen the show, which I imagine is some of you, uh, understand that Apple TV Plus right now is free for certain shows, and Dickinson is one of them. We checked. Um, so you can go if you have an Apple account. If you don't, you can just create one. Not very hard. Um, but you can watch Dickinson for free right now um, because of coronavirus, and that's... Uh, that's a good thing that they offered it for free. Uh, not a good thing that the circumstances counted for that. But Dickinson is a fantastic show. We all recommend it. It's very, very good. Um, and uh, if what we say entices you and interests you, go watch it. It's a good show. All right. Um, where do we want to start, boys? At the beginning. At the beginning. In the beginning there was a slideshow i don't know i i just been using 1860 as like a default i think that's a little too uh a little too late in the game i, I think it's probably 1850s i'm looking up emily dickinson's lifespan right now because because i, I think she she lived from 1830 to, to 18 so if she's a teenager, I would probably say you're probably pretty close. So I there. think it starts in like the, the 1850s. Uh, 1850. Yeah, yeah mm, that's like 20 years in the age. future. I would say probably more like the 18, late 1840s. Okay. Yeah. Because it's hard to get a good grip of how old they are. Because of the you know the different, the different uh, sort of situations they're all in, you know. It's it's it, you kind of have to know more about the historical time period to get an age, uh, get a good gauge of their age, as opposed to just kind of like deciding it up based on how they look. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think, like, the only thing that I remember them saying, like, specifically about anybody's age was, like, when, uh, when Emily was talking about her, her time at the, 
at like the church or there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that bit. She said, "Oh yeah, back when I was sixteen, when she was talking to Maggie." Yeah. So she's definitely in her in her late teens, or like early twenties. Like she's she's pretty close to her her actual age. Like all all these people are pretty young. Uh, I'm adding that to the thing right now <laughs> about uh, Maggie. I think this show does a really good job with the the side characters and how the side characters are really invested in each episode and they they seem like I know the show's only it's pretty compact it's only 10 episodes but they feel like they're really a part of each episode even if they may not appear in every single episode even if it's recurring they have a lot of people who are actually uh historically accurate like a lot of the people in the a lot of the other girls that emily hangs out with they are real people it's like jane humphrey's real and a couple of other people they're they're actually historical figures so i think that part of it's pretty cool is there is there a single fictional character uh, i i think a few of them are uh they might be like amalgamations of other people that that she interacted with um, but be, like people like Ben Newton, Jane Humphrey are real, uh, George Gould, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, in terms of the side characters. Gotcha. Um, so talking about that, do we want to start talking about characters or maybe do we, let's start with the themes of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a good start. Yeah. Um, Duncan, in a way that is like spoilery or like non-spoilery. Oh, we said it was gonna. We said it was gonna be spoiler, spoiler-ish. So I'm okay with talking about spoilers Um, because it is it is historical. Yeah, it's not. I mean, know about Emily Dickinson. Like you guys should know this already. The the appeal, (laughs) yeah, the appeal for the show is not in the spoilers. It's more in how you see these actors interact with each other. Um, and how uh, it's all put together and edited. Um, I think that's the main appeal of the show, wouldn't you say? Um, Duncan, Jared? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, you know, I'm unsure how we, we handle some of these. It seems like in previous shows it might be a little different than other ones because this, this show is so unique and this, this episode of... of uh, the, the late night pod is going to be so unique because we're really going off of just kind of the source material that we saw and really we, we figured out that we were kind of the only one doing this right now so uh that, that part of it is, is a bit different but yeah let's let's jump into something that is is definitely uh full full spoilers and full uh depth here so the, the first theme that i have and this is introduced right in the first episode is is the concept of death and really how they explore death not only as a character who's he's played by Wiz Khalifa but really death as like a concept uh, in normal life whereas today's world uh, we may not experience it in the same way or we may not go through it in the same way as people back then did um, some 
notable uh, quotes from the episode is in basically the first few lines, Emily says, I'm in love with death. And it's kind of weirdly uh, a weird representation of her character at first, but then once you're introduced to the actual character death, uh, it kind of makes more sense of of this, uh, the way that we explore that with her. And I have kind of like a, I guess you could call it a fan theory, I don't know, um, that every time we see her meeting with death in the carriage, that this is actually the the, uh, the writers telling us that this is this is Emily uh, trying to experiment with death in a way. And I think that the show really handles these dark overtones in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah. And and I don't want to talk too much about that because Kazaya has told me she was really excited to talk about that feature. But mm-hmm. yes, death is a prominent theme in this show, uh, whether that be death of secondary characters or death of um, certain things, death of the emotion, death of, um, you know, a lot of different ideas of death. And I looked up some metaphors and stuff on this uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, let me look here. I'm going to text my mother. I don't know if you guys can hear this. You probably can't, but, uh, I can hear my mother watching Star Trek Picard in the background. Um, so I'm going to just tell her to turn it down a little bit. Um, that's an interesting, uh, interesting, uh, fact that last time we previewed Dickinson on the, on the Star Trek. Yes. And now it comes up here on the Dickinson. Yeah, um, I want to quickly talk about uh, how uh, Duncan and I originally came across this show. Because um, it definitely fits in that episode one uh, sort of lure to the show, because I'm pretty sure we watched episode uh, together, just for, we got to see the show. Yeah. yeah. And and then we brought everybody in after that, and we kind of rewatched and got them all yeah, um, so I think the, I wonder, would we get copy striked if I, if I tried to watch the trailer? I could try and pull it up, potentially, but, I mean, I guess you guys can't see it. How, but how long is the trailer? It's like a two minutes. I don't know, I, I'm not gonna risk it, but, um, yeah, so the original trailer, uh, of Dickinson is what originally uh, brought us into getting this. And we watched the trailer right when we bought the Apple TV, right? Which was... In October. Was a couple months before. Yeah, it, it was a couple, I guess, weeks or so before the actual city dropped. Yeah. So it dropped on November 1st. So yeah. it was, and the whole thing was there from the from day one. And we, of course, a uh, much longer time to proceed through it than I feel like most people who watch this did and most people who watched this perhaps binged it in in like a day or two yeah uh, kind of like we did on the rewatch but i mean the whole series is about five hours long yeah something so like it's that. definitely doable yeah for, for a binge but it was kind of fun to see it once or one or two at a time yeah i think we paced it out fairly well um 
But but let me let me ask you this, Duncan. What were your original uh, thoughts, emotions, uh, takeaways from that trailer when you first watched it with uh, the me? Trailer, it, I, I kind of relate it to. There's only like one. I can only do this for like one thing in it. But there's there's always like one movie or show where I'm like I have no idea how this thing is gonna go. Mm-hmm. And in Cat Fame, uh, Wonder Woman hadn't really picked up a lot of steam, so that's the one where I'm right now where I'm like I have no idea what they're doing. So at the time that I watched the Dickinson, this one was the one where I was like, what is this show? I have no idea what it is. I don't even know if it's up my alley, but I'm I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna have to see it just for curiosity. Yeah. So, and and I almost had like a like a suspended reaction where I couldn't quite give an opinion yet because I was just gonna see it with an open mind and see where it, where it took me. Um, but I, I definitely was surprised and sort of shocked that it was on the air and then realizing kind of in the moment nobody else would watch it. Like we kind of had this thing where we were like, oh, that show is gonna be crazy. And then we realized, like, we might be the only ones watching this show. Yeah. When we actually got around to it. Yeah. And, uh, so, okay, so, for me, when I first saw the trailer, um, which I'm pretty sure I watched it for the first time with you, I don't remember watching it before then, but I remember Apple TV getting announced, like, I think I went home to visit my family a weekend for one weekend. I don't remember when it was. It was, like... This was definitely early in the school year, and um, I I came back because I was like, "Yo, Duncan, there's this." Uh, oh, the the whole deliberation for this was um, I, it, which ended up making me buy my Apple TV in the first place. Was I uh, we we got a thing about how every Apple device uh, that was you bought after. I don't know what was it September 10th or October 10th or something like that any Apple device across the board they would give you a free year of Apple TV plus um, along mm-hmm. with it so I did that and uh, because of that reason because I was getting pretty fed up with the fire stick um, that we had and I just didn't I was like this is this is dumb and I, I don't feel like I'm it, I just didn't like it um so is the issue with the audio right where the the audio that's like, right oh, we had the weird wireless setup um that's crazy now but now it's perfect because i can you know mm-hmm. put my speakers anywhere in the house um and it works pretty well but yeah that was we i remember we we drove out at like 9 yep. p.m on like a wednesday night and and drove we to knew, we knew we planned our Apple uh, TV day because we knew that the new phone was dropping and we're like oh this is this is gonna be impossible to get it's gonna be like the switch or something yeah I don't even know if that was the case but we made sure to go on a day that was just we kind of just decided like hey let's go now get it right before the store closes yeah and it'll be before the phone comes out and we'll have an Apple TV and and you know, in the first couple of days, we started exploring around on this thing. We realized we have the premium service that most people don't have, and most people are unaware of because it apparently it just launched. So we, we kind of had our own exclusive show, and now you're kind of the own exclusive uh, podcast on it. It's kind of funny. We're resident uh, Dickinson experts. Yeah. 
which is really fun. Um, and we, you and I were originally going to watch the show together, but this was right around the time when uh, I had just met Keziah and Jared, you started becoming more friends with me. Um, obviously, Duncan and Jared were friends beforehand, but I, I didn't know Jared very well at the time, and we were just getting to know each other. Um, and we're like, hey, let's just watch this show together. So we watched, Duncan, you and I watched like one or two episodes by ourselves. Yeah, I think we made sure not to not to do the whole thing right away. Yeah. Um, for that reason, because we wanted to bring our friends in. Yeah. And this, you know, back in the time when you could actually have a movie night without the, the fear of uh, spreading spreading disease everywhere. Yeah. So, um, but that was that was kind of how it started, and uh, we all got hooked immediately um, with this show. Um, but it's uh, it's a very wild and crazy show, and um, it stars. Uh, let's let's pull it up real quickly. I have the the IMDb page right here. It stars Haley Steinfeld, Adrian Enscore. Uh, Anna Berish, how do I say her name? This is Lavinia's character. Anna Bernishkov. Uh, Anna Bernishkov. Is that what you said, Duncan? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, Jane Kuskrowski, uh, Kuskrowski, um from Thirty Rock. Toby Huss and Ella Hunt, of um, the most notable people. Um, the rest are kind of more side characters and. Um, but this show is, I mean, the most notable person in this show is Haley Steinfeld. Um, Ella Hunt, we, we like Ella Hunt a lot because we watched a movie with her in it. Um, uh, Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a very wacky cult horror Christmas movie. It's its own genre bender, just like this one kind of bends the genre of, I would, I would call this Dickinson a period drama. It still kind of bends it. It's still kind of like a dark comedy. But uh, Anime Apocalypse is totally like a double hybrid of, of musical, Christmas, zombie movie. It's it's kind of like a weird twist on a Edgar Wright movie, almost, right? Like very uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. But it's a musical, which is totally out of bounds for what a normal movie would be. But we really enjoyed that one. That, that probably came out... Uh, probably 2018 right it was like it was like a movie where come out and most people didn't see it in the theater yeah i i had known about it because i kept seeing i get i get a lot of weird advertisements for weird film on instagram um Mm -hmm. and i would say about half of them are duds half of them are actually really good um uh anna and the apocalypse is one of those really good ones um so uh but it's yeah i get a lot of independent film trailers on my Instagram because that's how Facebook works and I've learned to make the algorithm work for me and not uh, weird me out so I appreciate getting advertisements like that because you never know when you're going to find a cool gem um, but yeah uh, this uh, it's it's an exceptional series um, so Dickinson if you haven't figured it out yet um, it is a period piece on Emily Dickinson, but they have some creative liberties with it. Um, so if you were watching on the VOD version of this, uh, or listening to the podcast, I would tell you to stop right now, 
go watch the uh, the original trailer, which I think was released in September or October, um, of Dickinson. And I, I, let me look up the title. It's it, it's like Dickinson trailer, and then it has like a subtitle. Um, let me just close that real quickly. Dickinson trailer. Hey, I can't really tell from the from our initial like reaction on this, but did we think it was gonna be funny? Because I, I don't know if that was. We didn't know what it was going to be. Like in the trailer, and it's kind of hard to tell. Like, yeah. Seeing the trailer. It is. End, it is a one-minute trailer. And we've already seen the, the show, so we kind of like plug in all the yeah. spots where we say, "Oh, that scene's from there. Or, that scene's not in it." Well, like, usually. So I, it's kind of hard to like go back and you know put the genie back in the bottle. And be like, did we know what this was before it came? Yeah, so usually, um, sorry, my eye's bugging out, um, usually when, uh, a trailer like this drops, it's because the marketing team is great, um, and whoever's producing it has just, they just have really good marketing skills, and knowing Apple, they have a great marketing team, so I, this wouldn't surprise me that the trailer is kind of awesome, and very wacky and crazy. Um, it definitely catches the eye. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just say that. And uh, what's weird about this is you never... It's pretty rare now that you see a trailer that perfectly captures the essence of what you're about to see um, in such a way that... It, I, I don't know. I feel like this trailer is is perfect for this show. Wouldn't you say? I would think so, too. Like I, th- I think it did a pretty good job of, of telling me what I was getting into. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I thought it was it was very informative and very accurate to how the show was going to be. But I hadn't really seen anything like it. Basically, it's advertised like a... I don't know. It's advertised like a, like a, a rom-com modern day rom-com i guess modern day comedy kind of modern day like action comedy i feel like the the song choice and everything would kind of fit along with the modern day action comedy trailer or something like that um i don't know not a period piece for sure um and this is definitely one of the most weird period pieces out there um it's very interesting um the best way I've described this show to people is if you've seen Booksmart, it's Booksmart in the 1800s. So that's kind of um, how I feel about it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's got kind of some high school uh, coming of age story vibes. Um, it's got, uh, it also, I mean, like you said, it's got uh, heavy reliance on themes of death and grief. Um, as a plot device, and uh, and it's it's uh, uses Emily Dickinson's poems as sort of a diary entry. And what I'm thinking about when they were writing this show is that they um, they probably looked back at her poems and they're like, okay, how do we create a narrative around her writing this story? You know, like Wild Nights when she's writing that. That's that's the party episode. So it makes me wonder if like that's the they're like okay this sounds like a party how do we translate that to this 1800s hybrid 
modern day, you know, high school story, you know. I don't know. What are you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think they had to make it relatable, right? Like yeah. That, that was their first real biggest hurdle to get over is make it relate. Because without that sort of context and sort of the jargon that they're using, and okay, I guess I wouldn't call it jargon, I call it slut that are using and sort of the way they interact with each other, even though they're walking around, you know, 1850s um, Massachusetts, it has to be relatable to the target audience. And I think that was their first step. Let's not make it like a, like a documentary or a docudrama. Let's make more of like a show we would watch on TV today, like, uh, Pretty Little Liars, or you know, uh, Euphoria was another another similar one that I watch uh, in terms of the age group and and the target audience. So I think those kind of shows, um, it might be a little easier to, to kind of curb those in because the characters are already, you know, in a in a more contemporary state. But it, it kind of works the same same formula with a different time period. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, yeah. So, um, how, what else do we want to talk about? I think okay. I wrote to, wrote down some of my general ideas um, about the show. I said that most of the characters in the show, aside from like three of them, are pretty dynamic characters. Um, they, I, they, there's this this character arc curve that they kind of go through um, where. They start, a lot of characters start in one place, um, towards the middle are in kind of a different place, and towards the end they're more or less back in the same place. Um, that's especially apparent with characters like uh, Austin, Emily, uh, I would say George is a little bit like that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and in some cases Emily and Sue mirror each other. In some of the like some of the outfits they wear, yeah. And some of the dates that they're in, and it, you know, some of it's in episode one. At, at certain parts, Sue is grieving her family because her whole family's dead, basically. Right. I'm not sure if they have that completely accurate um, in terms of like the timing, but that is like she basically didn't have anyone to take care of her. Like her parents were gone. Yeah. Um, so. In terms of that, like, in the beginning, we see her shivering black. She's she's kind of, like, doesn't have the best worldview at the moment. Like, she's really down on her luck, and she, like, has no... She literally sees no way out, but we don't really see her, like, contemplating this. Yeah. And we see Emily wearing her, like, her white uh, dress, and they, they kind of mirror each other in that way. They're kind of opposites. So the, in, and then at the end of the series, they kind of flip it, and they put Sue in the white dress, and Emily wears black, because she's the one who... Yeah. So, in terms of just the costume, uh, and the sort of the mood of the characters within that, uh, between 1 and 10, they are, they are kind of mirroring each other. But, but then again, in terms of like a more zoomed out view, if you're looking at all of the episode, they do kind of act in, in these sort of arcs and loops and they kind of end up kind of back where they started especially with like austin and lavinia and uh, mrs dickinson 
I would say Lavinia is the only one of the main of the Dickinson family that actually ends up in a slightly different place. Um, yeah. Then she started. It's not perfect, She's but also it's the most unexpected. Like she, she is the most unpredictable. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and then also I would say that there's certain static characters, the static characters being Ben is a static character. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dickinson's are kind of are kind of static characters um, of the main uh, ensemble. Um, the side characters in this, I'm not really counting too much because they don't get enough playtime for their characters to yeah, really develop a whole lot. More like background, but like they're there. They may be there for like their one episode where they're like the antagonist, or yeah. they do something that really helps out one of the main family members but yeah overall they don't they don't have too much evolution yeah so um another thing that i i noticed in this series is there is uh multiple uses of sickness as a plot device which ironically works really well in this current day and age but um very very topical Mm -hmm. which is funny because this series came out uh six months ago um, and it, it, it's so topical that you could watch it and be entertained by that. Um, but there's a whole episode dedicated to, uh, Emily is sick, but it's not like, it's not like really sick. It's more like, I don't know, she's going through like, it's probably like a flu, but obviously back in the 1800s, any sort of illness is kind of a, uh, really dramatic uh, thing and it could kill you essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and like if the leeches don't work, we're uh, kind of out of ideas. Yeah, they didn't have modern medicine at the time um, and all this stuff. And there's a lot of talk of yellow fer- fever in the uh, in mm-hmm. in the series and and um, what bronchitis is that? What is that? What Ben gets? I think he gets tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. Excuse me. Which which is, which is a very uh, problematic disease at the time and uh, in terms of Emily's episode where she's I have the perfect word to describe really all three of those episodes between her uh, meeting Ben episode 6, episode 7 the one where they're all angry at each other and um, that episode 8 where Emily decides to be like a a uh, she she tries to take on her mother's role. Mm-hmm. All all three of those episodes kind of go together with uh, the word animus, which uh, depending on how you define it, it could mean hostility, it could mean an ill feeling, or it could also mean the motivation to do something. And I think all three of those kind of fit in line with each episode um, when like Emily and Ben exploring their their new interest and a lot they like to be alone ironically which is is kind of the um one of the other themes of this kind of intersects with the solitude like this is after she visits Thoreau and Thoreau is famous for being alone he lives out in the woods in the middle of nowhere so between that and the uh the hostility when their families completely mad at each other in the next episode those those three kind of all fall in line. Perfect. 
All right, I'm going to stop you there for a second. Uh, welcome, Kaziah, to the show. Uh, Kaziah, are you there? Hey, how's it going? Hey. Do you want to be on hey. camera, or hey. do you want to prefer to just stay there? This is fine. Okay, so Kaziah will join us via voice um, in, in this. Um, but uh, Kaziah ha also watched the show with us. Um, and uh, Kaziah, we are currently talking, we're breaking down some of the episodes right now. Um, Duncan, do you want to fill her in on what you were just talking about? Yeah, so I, I, in this case, like we were talking about the sort of the starting with the episode where Emily gets sick, mm -hmm. and I described all three of the episodes uh, following that. So the sick when she was sick, uh, faking a sickness. Uh, seven when the Dickinson family gets far too invested in politics and everyone goes crazy. And then the eighth episode, when Emily tries to impress Bet uh, by taking on more household chores, all three of those um, episodes can be described with animus, which is either hostility um, or an ill feeling or the motivation to do something. And those those kind of all three, no matter how you slice it, line up with one of those episodes. So I thought that was a perfect way to group all those together into one. Yeah. Um, cause I, we're just kind of going over general themes right now. Um, but yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? We were just talking about how sickness was used as a plot device in this series. Mm -hmm. That's good. I, I don't have any current thoughts, but what you said was great. Get it.
rings, it pulls. She, I can't, now what's my name? My chain, my pants, my pants with the chain. They know it's me, the hat and the shades. They heard my voice and they ran to the stage. My pants, my brains, my mans, my babe, my girls, my ex. So uh, let's go back to the death and grief idea and let's talk about death as a character. Um, Cause I, do you want to lead that conversation? Oh man. <laughs> you, you had some really insightful things to say. So I want to, I want to hear your, your thoughts. Yeah. I love death in this side note. Wiz Khalifa plays him and that, was so jarring for me the first time I saw him. I was like, whoa, it's Wiz Khalifa, what? <laughs> and at first it didn't make sense for him to be playing death, but I love that he's playing death and I think it fits perfectly in the series itself. Um, definitely one of my most favorite side characters, but he's a character that Emily meets with periodically throughout the show. Um, and he shows up oftentimes when characters have died. I think too that sometimes when death shows up that these are the times that Emily attempts or is contemplating suicide, which adds a different tone to what's happening with the story at the moment. I rewatched a few, yeah, I rewatched a few of the episodes and the more I watch the episodes with death in them, the more I'm thinking that those are the moments that Emily is thinking about suicide, which, uh, it shook me a few times. I was like, ooh, I don't know about this anymore. <laughs> but it's really good. Yeah. Um, and speaking on that topic, so so Death, as Kaziah said, is played by uh, Wiz Khalifa. And you're probably like, but Death isn't a real person. You said this is a period piece, Lucas. I did. Um, so Emily has uh, imaginary friends in this series. Uh, those uh, are Death and uh, there's a bee that shows up later um that is also one of her imaginary friends um and uh death is this he's very honest with her um what did i write down for death i wrote down death um he's very sympathetic to emily because he doesn't want her to quit on life um and he even like shows her what would happen if she did um towards the end of the series um because but Emily kind of romanticizes the idea of death in her mind until uh, death is struck upon Ben um, and she begins to grieve over someone she really cared about. Um, I don't know. What do you guys want to say about death as a character and the themes that uh, Wiz Khalifa brings to the show? I think the he really bridges the gap between the introducing death as a theme in the beginning and sort of closing it with the 
the idea of grief and loss and how someone can go through that process and, and sort of come out the other side of it uh, through, through the stages of grief and, and come to grips with the hardship of losing someone. And I think it really does a good job of, of sort of mirroring that journey where she's at the beginning. She kind of doesn't understand um, Sue's, like, the hardship, but she cares for her so much. And at the, the end, she's kind of been the one who goes through that hardship. And um, hopefully uh, we'll get to see uh, that continue, sort of Sue uh, reconciling with Emily and and comforting her uh, in, in the next season because this show has been renewed. So hopefully uh, the people at Apple will uh, continue their their brave work that they've been doing because you know you could have a funny show that you know breaks barriers, but if you don't do it in the right way, I think it kind of loses something. So I think so far. They've sort of explored this. They made it funny. They made it serious sometimes. They made it wild and crazy. And, and they did it in a way that is fitting to the character of Emily Dickinson. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty accurate. I definitely think it's better that she, she talks to somebody that's imaginary than um, somebody who's, who's actually a, a character in in the period story, like, I, I don't think it would have been fitting for, for her to go through all of that with anybody who was, who was actually real in that point. I think it means a lot more that she was going that through that herself, too. Like, yeah. Sorry, with herself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's see here. Um, was there any other themes that we wanted to talk about? Um, we briefly touched on the the Sue and Emily mirror. Um, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, so Sue is uh, Emily Dickinson's best friend and lover. Oh, <laughs> but Whoa. but also but also Sue is engaged to Emily Dickinson's brother uh, Austin Dickinson. Um, love that love triangle. <laughs> and the season starts. Uh, you, Sue's introduction is uh, Austin says that Sue said yes to his proposal uh, in a very, <laughs> very um, explicit manner. Um, in, for a TV 14 show, surprisingly. Um, and, uh, uh, but also. Uh, you get this introduction of the reason it happens is because Sue is a survivalist. She, she basically, she has to do something to survive. Otherwise she can't exist in the 1800s on her own and live. Um, and she has to because they're all of her family is dead basically. So, uh, yeah. Um, also, uh, there's there's kind of a bit of a high school love story love there's a lot of love triangles in this series um, whether that be Emily and Ben uh, Emily and Sue Austin and Sue George and Emily um, Lavinia and her uh, other flings it's there's a there's a series of 
different love stories and B plots going on in this uh, story. Um, should we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I we noticed one that totally went, on, I guess went unnoticed or we, we kind of forgot about um, in the final, I think it was the final episode, right, Jared? Where uh, Emily has these visions uh, and she's in the coffin and she's kind of like given up. She's, she's like, I, I can't do this anymore, just take me away. And, and Death's like, really? Do you really want to do that? And she's visited by all these these uh, people at her funeral and and she before talked about how uh, her funeral was supposed to be amazing there were so many people there because she sort of romanticized death and uh, it and sort of the way she carried herself and her relationship with Ben where it wasn't really serious it was just about having fun and breaking boundaries and being rebellious uh, it was kind of funny to when they brought back the, the like zombified Ben. He's all like white makeup, and uh, there's like a weird like flashback of him uh, complimenting Austin's cravat, which is this tie. <laughs> and, but and but the, it's kind of okay because Emily herself is bisexual in this series. Yeah. But it was kind of like a, oh, how, how do you deal with this weird like identity crisis that you know is not real? Like it's just fake. Like it's it's a fake, not not really fake, but it's like she's not really seeing him there. He's not actually coming back from the dead. But she's kind of like questioning his his you know mindset and and kind of questioning her own livelihood and like I thought that was a very like bold way to, to carry that last like literally like the last 10 minutes of the show like totally like raising questions about this character this this unmarried man who's like in his in his late 20s or whatever like why is he why is he unmarried you know there's all these questions about ben newton who he's a real character a real person in your life so that kind of fit with the the theme of the show and kind of fit with how he was he was uh, thought of in that time period because he he was not a, a typical man he doesn't like line up with the like edward dickinson's of the world yeah yeah the one thing um i i think is really interesting about ben's character is um one thing i i'm curious is if because ben's character is so prominent in this series and he's only in for half the season um, that I wonder if he'll come back as a as a recurring uh, imaginary character for Emily in her, um, especially with the funeral scene. So it makes me wonder, like, will there be more imaginary characters coming along, um, you know, that listen to her talk about her poems and stuff? Because um, even, even, uh, even uh, Thoreau is there yeah. at the funeral. Yeah. Imaginary th- sort of like oh, i'm not really here i just burned down my house and had nowhere to live like yeah. very like throw away we had to put john mulaney in this in this episode he had to be in two episodes <laughs> i really hope john mulaney comes back that that, that oh, yeah. cameo appearance of thoreau was fantastic um, it was fantastic yeah i'm completely fine with uh with the the inaccuracy of I don't, I don't think Emily Dickinson ever met the, but I'm completely fine with it if it's John Mulaney 
Yeah, and it makes sense since since her comment, his comment in his uh, comedy uh, stand-up, very famous line of, oh, yeah. I, I, be- I thought Emily Dickinson was lesbian. Um, and this show runs with that joke very, very hard, um, which is hilarious. Um, uh, let since we're kind of on the topic of um, side characters, let's let's talk about the other ones. Um, we just talked about Thoreau. Let's talk about him a little bit more. Um, so I wrote down Thoreau. Uh, is he's obviously we know now. He's played by John Mulaney. Um, I remember when we were about to watch the episode, we saw the uh the description for it and it said john mulaney guest stars and we're like what because <laughs> we were gonna predict who he is minutes before he yeah we up. we had no idea who he was gonna who he was gonna be in the show um but it he was out of place and yeah <laughs> yeah but i think i think they did a really good job i i couldn't imagine anyone else playing thoreau as a younger man so i i think they they did an excellent job with the casting. Yeah, and and I might be reading into this a lot, but um, Thoreau's character, um, it turns out instead of being this you know well-renowned uh, writer who is very existential and very um, you know good about what he says, turns out to be kind of a catfish, more or less, uh, for Emily Dickinson. Um, where he turns out to be kind of the slob and his mom still takes care of him uh, living in a granny unit uh, on their, you know, 40-acre property or whatever. Um, So he kind of represents how, you know, these really famous people that we glorify maybe not be so good of people um, as we think they are based on their work, Um, which is kind of interesting. I thought that was an interesting, like, little bit of meta-commentary on that. Yeah, Thoreau was just a guy who wanted to be left alone. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about what I said? Yeah, I I think it's definitely interesting how, not just with Thoreau, but with other themes and points and with other characters in the show, they bring in issues that we still deal with in our culture right now, in our society today, and that little piece of oh, our celebrities and people that we look up to aren't always the people that they seem to be. It's definitely a huge thing that is happening right now, also. That little last thing that he says right before they leave, he just, the, the only like serious thing that he said in that whole conversation is like, never meet your heroes. Yeah, yeah it's very, it's very meta-commentary. Um, yeah, um, is that is that any anything else we want to say about Thoreau and John? I wanted Williams? to circle back uh, to the, that particular episode where, like, the reasoning Emily go the reason she's there to visit him is she's trying to sort of start this grassroots campaign to um, take a stand on on her favorite place in the in the forest, her favorite place to think, and she really idolizes Thoreau and his his book writing about Walden in Massachusetts. And it's kind of, I liked it at the time uh, because it was, it was very like, uh, it took a stand of like environmental conversation, uh, conservation and really like started that 
sort of ideal with Thoreau, and he, he kind of had that sort of weird uh, political alignment too, where he, he really wanted to be left alone, but at the same time, he also wanted to be left in nature. And, and he kind of is associated with that based on what he said and not really, it's, I'm unsure whether he actually like believed it or whether he was just kind of grouped in. But either way, I think they do a good job of, of covering that. And I, I think I would call it the sequel episode. It's just like that kind of a thing. Like, well, we could build the train tracks here in the middle or we can take this way and it'll cost more, but it'll be done right. And that, that kind of, um, sat well with me because of what I was studying at the time. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. I, I, I didn't actually rewatch that episode, uh, prior to this, but, um, I, I'm just so fond of his character and stuff like that. Um, anything else? Should we move on to another, uh, one of the side characters? Lavinia. Well, Lavinia is not a side character. She's more of a main character. The on my outline, I wrote down uh, main characters are Emily, Lavinia, Austin, Mister and Missus Dickinson, George, Sue, Ben, and Emily's imagination is one kind of compiled character. Um, what about Henry? Uh, yeah, I wrote on Henry, Henry and Betty he's as using the next episode. Yeah, um, with the the Othello. Yeah, I, I wrote down my theme was agency, sort of holding agency, and and because the episode's called "I'm Afraid to Own a Body," which is a reference to uh, slavery, which is a reference to uh, sort of the lack of women's uh, rights at the time, like Emily sort of kind of being like she feels like she is owned like she's a slave but she even says that in the show and this sort of fear of like ownership and holding authority and so the, the sort of tagline of it was who hold who holds authority when putting on a costume and playing a role and that was essentially what they were doing the entire episode was this shakespeare club and they sort of struggled with that the characters struggle with that and how to put their you know their get their drama on and, and make it all like work together and just spending all this time fighting over what play to choose and whether the play was appropriate and was really about is is just sort of accepting and everyone sort of in, including the entire group and, and Emily was so passionate about sort of making it perfect that she lost sight of, of the the point of the the Shakespeare Club. Yeah. Um yeah I wrote about the so Henry and Betty, they are two characters. They're married um in this series and Henry is kind of a servant to um to Mr. Dickinson. Um and he kind of helps him with the heavy lifting around the house. He's not really uh, an assistant necessarily. He's more of a, um, he's there to make sure that the house stays maintained and um, to go with him if needed and that sort of stuff. Um, and his wife, Betty, is the dressmaker in town. So this, they're, they're in the north, right? 
That's where Emily yeah, Dickinson. So yeah. this is prior to the Civil War, and I wonder if they'll cover that in a future season. Um, but well, said that they will get to it if they get to a third season. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't the, hear uh, about the that. Second season. The second season will lead up to the Civil War. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and they mentioned like, it. They mentioned it in this season about it happening. Um, with death talks about there's about to be a lot of lives lost and Emily talks about that a little bit as yeah, well as kind of predicted. Yeah. Um, and then as well as uh, Mr. Dickinson in the final moments of the last episode um, talks about it. Uh, but uh, Henry and Betty, they obviously have actual occupations and they are treated as people but it's definitely not perfect. It's still a little bit of the three-fifths compromise kind of thing. Um, you can tell that the main characters feel bad for them, but they can't really do anything about it. Right, right. Um, and, and there's a little bit of uh, minorities talking this with Maggie as well, um, mm-hmm. being of, you know, being an Irish immigrant um, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Betty is very interesting. She's a small... She's a very small role, but um, she is. Uh, she creates Sue's wedding dress, and she's the first one to spot that Sue is pregnant, um, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but she, it, Betty's, Betty's really funny. I, when I was watching the last episode with Henry and Betty were having the back and forth, um, and Betty just laughs at <laughs> how the interaction is going between the Dickinsons. And she's like, that would never happen in our house, kind of thing, because they know how to communicate better. Um, and what 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 is Henry's line? He's like, man, white people sure know how to throw a party. That's exactly yeah. what Henry does. Yeah. Just yep. so funny. Um, but yeah, I like their their um, they. I love how the men, they use the minority characters in this, um, and how kind of accurate they are to the time period in the North. Um, but mm-hmm. also, it's, it's accurate, accurate and it's also, also like it does a respect to both sort of the the progressive mindset at the time without being like completely out of context or like overcompensating to where you think like oh they're going out of like out of their way to do this sort of weird like you know like overcompensation thing. But I think it, it's done well and it, they're definitely going to do more of that handling it in that kind of way as they get closer to um, some of the other historical points that happen um, after uh, we pick it back up in season two. Yeah, and also I wanted to mention that uh, Henry and Maggie both um, say things along religious context, whereas the other characters go to church because it's culturally makes sense. But uh, Henry and Maggie both uh, actually believe in God, and it's a it's a piece of their kind of characters. Um, there's a line in the uh, the sickness episode, which is well, what's the title of that episode? Does anyone know? I don't remember. Not off the top Well, sixth episode. Henry for patient illness. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, Henry and Betty have this little exchange where they said, uh, the Lord takes what he wants. Uh, and, and Henry's like, yeah, he really does. Um, so they both are like, they're like, man, um, it's it's really rough. and they But they still believe in God. And I kind of like that, that little touch because 
a lot of minorities are are known to be pretty religious. Um, and in this context, they don't shy away from that, which I appreciated. It's a little nice touch that I liked um, a lot. Uh, Maggie more so than Henry and Betty. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It's definitely something I didn't notice right away. Um, but now that you mention it, it makes a lot more sense for sort of how the episodes and how the characters are received. Like they're not trying to make it uh, sort of a religious show, but you can still see those themes there and, and that part of it kind of fits the time. Um, um, still see kind of like where they get their values from. Yeah. I think they were going for. Yeah. Um, so the last of the side characters that I wrote down is the Amherst teens. Um, let's, let's talk. All of them, all of them conglomerated. Yeah, so that, that includes all of Lavinia's friends, um, uh, and the, who's the boy that Lavinia, yeah, Joseph, Joseph. yeah, he's also in that collective, um, yes. but let's, let's talk about that. Maybe let's, let's talk about Joseph a little bit. So Joseph is the boy that Lavinia falls in love with in the middle of the season. Um, and, uh, it's pretty clear to the audience that this, this guy's kind of a douche. Um, but Trash. it's not, Trash is the correct word. yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not Trash. apparent. It's not apparent to, uh, Lavinia because Lavinia just wants to be popular and wants attention, and uh, she wants to be she wants to be uh, you know courted over and stuff like that. Um, you know she wants boys to flock to her. Uh, you know, kind of like Emily gets all the uh, Emily gets a lot of the attention, but she doesn't really ask for it. She more wants it for her writing purposes, and she's kind of wild and crazy. Um, you know, and all that stuff and. Um, Lavinia kind of wants that, and she also wants to be a wife, she wants to be all these things, she wants to be married, um, and more, and her parents are more, uh, focused on that for Emily's purposes, not Lavinia, and Lavinia kind of feels cheated of that. Um, so, let's, let's talk about, um, the, the teens, and how, how Joseph kind of plays into that a little bit. Uh, I would first we introduce him with I think of the part, one of the party episodes, um, the Wild Nights, when he ha- he he pulls out these strands of other girls' hair and he like names them off and you definitely get the impression that he's kind of like a playboy. He kind of like goes after all the women, uh, even though we don't really see that necessarily on screen as much. We can still pick the uh, sort of clue up, and um, it's definitely. Sort of a red flag from the audience perspective and then Lavinia is sort of oblivious to it and she just kind of like fawns over him and and it's it's definitely uh it definitely fits into the sort of like coming of age story like almost like a high school thing yeah um also let's talk about the other girls um, which I think their biggest representation is in the uh, the Wild Nights episode is, which is kind of fun. The let's let's talk about that episode. You you wrote down something about that, Duncan. 
Oh yeah, so um, the biggest theme from the Wild Nights episode, as well as the previous one, was I've never seen volcanoes. Uh, it's the title of the episode. Uh, is rebellion, and um, in episode three, Wild Nights, the the Dickinson siblings throw a party uh, when the, the parents are in Boston, and it's really kind of funny to see like. I guess the freedoms that they have. I don't know. I don't know how accurate it is, but it, it's just kind of funny to see them just go crazy. Um, and you can tell they had a fun time shooting this episode with like all the vibrant colors and and the music and the, and the dancing. And it's it's just kind of like a uh, a very sort of it really fits the show. Like we weren't really sure how the show was gonna handle these type of uh, events, but it definitely does it with a, a loud and bold statement. And then this kind of captures that theme. I mean, it kind of fits with the, who the characters are and, and who the actors are playing them. Is, you, you can definitely tell uh, this, this is like a, a big hallmark of the, of the Dickinson uh, series. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Um... So yeah, uh, I also quickly want to talk about there's there's the three girls and then there's the one uh, sexually ambiguous boy um, who's played by uh, a uh, Asian character, Asian guy. What's his name? I need to find him in the Kevin, cast list. Kevin Yee. Yeah. Yes, Kevin Yee. You were right. Um, and he actually plays a uh, Asian character in the series, which is really interesting and fascinating. Um, and he's he's definitely playing this character of power. Um, but I found it kind of uh, interesting that they would have a character like this and not be mostly white. Um, but it was very interesting. It was an interesting dichotomy. Um, but yeah. Uh, His yeah, character's well, name is Toshiaki. Toshiaki, yeah. He's a very he's he has a very interesting lines like he always he always kind of has something weird to say yeah uh, especially playing off of Jane Humphrey who uh, is played by Gus Burney and she uh, it's just really fun to see sort of the off screen uh, relationship that some of these uh, actors and actresses have with, the, with each other like Gus Burney and and Ella Hunt are really good friends. Uh, so it's it's fun to see them like interact like in like behind the scenes stuff and like insert. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely tell it's it's not like it's not like it is on the show where where Jane is kind of like an antagonist. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I think. Is that that kind of covers it? Uh, what do you guys think about the the side characters, the teens in particular? Yeah, going off of what you were saying earlier, Duncan, about um, it kind of being a different take on period pieces. You didn't necessarily say it in that wording, but I think looking at all of the the younger cast members in this um, series. It's really cool because I don't think we've ever seen a period piece done quite like this. And it's very refreshing to see a different take where it feels more real. And you're like, oh, because when you think of people from this time, you generally think of 
people sitting in a room somewhere, quiet or just not a lot going on. I don't know how to better explain it, but it's just a very different take and it feels more authentic in the way that they did it. To go off what, what she was saying there, I, I think the only other uh, parallel I have, and I may have said it before uh, she arrived in the chat, was the only parallel I have to Dickinson is Euphoria, which is on HBO. It's a very, it covers some of the same themes, uh, but not in, maybe not in the most, uh, like, visually appealing, or maybe the same, like, sort of, like, loud manner. The Euphoria is more of, like, a slow burn, like, intense show, uh, but I think they, they kind of cover the same, like, sort of high school type interactions. So if people, if people enjoy Dickinson, or maybe if they even enjoy Euphoria and come to Dickinson, you might, you might, uh, be able to draw comparisons between the shows, uh, and, and similarly, Euphoria just finished their first season, uh, this summer, so they, they have definitely had the same sort of market. Uh, as Dickinson, and of course they're exclusive to HBO, so it's the same kind of streaming platform. Um, Kazaya, you, what were you saying? You got interrupted. You didn't get very far. Boo, I, I, I thought it was not my fault. That's okay. I don't know why that happened. I was saying, <laughs> it's all good. I was saying, going off of what Duncan was saying earlier about the show being a little different, um, kind of a different take on uh, this period of time you didn't necessarily say it in that wording but I think the show is so refreshing in that with all the younger cast they actually show the realness and what's really going on because I think when you think of period pieces set in this time you don't think of parties you don't think of people taking opium or you know just the random love triangles that we see or really the the things that go into somebody's life you think of somebody sitting in a room somewhere reading a book or corsets or i don't know i don't know how to explain it better but you don't really think of the realness that goes into the lives of these people but i think this show really gives a fresh take on that and i really love that yeah Oh yeah, what would people like uh, fill their time with? But the, the the things that people do to fill their time, like now, is not at all what you would like say out loud, or like even like <laughs> <No>. now. <laughs> yeah, and but it's like a good job of keeping in the realism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And jumping off the the modernization of this um, a little bit, I think that's really really good. Um, thanks, Kaziah, for mentioning that. Um, but yeah, this, this shows it's incredible. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. Got the white girl talking like the work. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. Got the white girl twerking like the work. 
I pull up on the scene. Got a pocket full of white and a green. Bitches out of town know what I mean. They like a song, goddamn, we wanna sing. I smoke the best weed in the States. I don't fuck around with no fakes. I had to scrape the whole damn plate. I like to go to steak and shake. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. Got the white girl talking like the work. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get I like to make money get turned. Got the white girl twerking like the work. I like to roof, oh, and the booth. Had to mix the white with the goose. Pineapple with a little bit of juice. Your girl over there, you know she gon' choose. We the winner, now your born sinner. Come off in this bitch like, yeah, what's for dinner? Eat these chumps up and spit them back out. I'm the hottest motherfucker in the north and the south now. I make money. And get turned, spend it all at the bank, put it all on dank. We don't play no games. I like to make money get turned. I got the white girl twerking like the work. I got my work twerking like the little white girl. I used to make it all off the white girl. Now I just make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. I like to make money get turned. Got the white girl twerking like the work. I like to make money get time. I like to make the money get time. I like to make the money get time. Got the girl twerking like the work. I like the. Got the white girls twerking like the work. I got the. I got a. I got a, I got a, I got the, I like to make money get turned, I like to make money and get turned, I like to make money get turned, got the white girls talking like the work, like the work, twerking like the work, got twerking like the work, got them twerking like, twerking like the, Turn. I like to make money get turned. I like to make the money and turn. Get the thing we haven't talked about yet is the music um, and the use of music in this series. Um, so I wrote down some things about that. Um, and that is uh, all, all of the music is very modern. Um, it's like they use Lizzo. They use... Um, let me pull up the soundtrack Billie real quickly Eilish. on my phone. Uh, Billie Eilish, in which is which is funny because when you use pop music, it's usually to like, oh yeah, you're at a party. We use pop music. How they use it in this show is very distinct and it's very well uh, thought out, and I really appreciate that. As someone who is an editor and a filmmaker uh, myself, I appreciate when music is used for plot and it's used to emphasize the emotional stance of the characters and this show does it extremely well um and with the music the soundtrack itself that was written for the series um has you know hip-hop tones and edm tones to it a lot of synth work which is really fun um but yeah uh hang on i'm pulling it up uh some stuff that's in the in in the soundtrack we have uh, Norgra Erez, ASAP Rocky, Billie Eilish, Lizzo, uh, TJR, Andrew Applepie, uh, Carnage, um, what other good stuff, uh, 
100 waters. Um, yeah, some really, really good uh, upbeat music um, that people are probably listening to currently. Um, and it's used uh, to the, it's used for importance in, in this series. Um, and I would say most of the music used in this series is, seems to be like 60% female artists, which is kind of a nice touch. Um, or at least female vocalist, uh, vocalist. So I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think about how the music is used in this series? I think the 200 decibel intro fits in really well. <laughs> of off, off the radar. We'll, we'll never, we'll never know where. Yeah. We'll, we'll never know where the, the volume is coming from. It's just like, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I think the volume though, like, even though it's loud, I think the volume plays a huge part in even not just the musical selection, but like getting your attention as a viewer. It's like, bam, right there in your face. And it kind of forces you to pay attention to what's going on in the scene. And as I was going through some of the other episodes, you can see that it's kind of used as a plot device by itself to be like, hey, viewer, this part is important. You need to pay attention. Yeah. It's it's a it's a check. Um, uh, obviously, the best music instances I think are the first and third episode, but music is used very well throughout. Um, the it's very funny to hear a song about twerking while they're doing this like <laughs> uh, very um, old uh, traditional, uh, probably English um, dance ballroom dancing. I think it might be some sort of polka. Um, it's very, very funny, um, and very, you know, contrasting, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, what else do you guys want to say about that? And then they always find some way to, to kind of get modern, like just out of nowhere. They, they don't even get, cause they'll, um, like halfway through the dance, they like all lined up and Lavinia started like, start going hard. And it, it was just, it was just so like out of place, not like it wasn't out of place. It, it shocked you as a viewer. Yes. I would say. I think it really lines up with that, the theme of rebellion and how of like, not only can these characters on screen, you know, go off and do their own thing, but sort of have the, the show kind of break out of the mold and, and do its own thing in terms of the music and what's happening on the screen sort of the, the way it's being told yeah i think that's that's a that's a great way to point it out um yeah Exactly. Your pain is the amount cleaning you out. Am I satisfactory? Today I'm thinking about the things that are deadly. The way I'm drinking you down, like I wanna drown, like I wanna end me. Step on the glass, staple your tongue. 
I guess we can move on to uh, Duncan. Do you want to do your episode breakdowns and your your story arcs? I think that would be now's a good time before we get into the main cast of characters. Oh, I think the one the one that I haven't touched on. Um, I think I've kind of moved mostly around and through most of these. Um, is episode two? Uh, I've never seen volcanoes when uh, Emily and Sue dress up as university students and at this time there weren't there weren't really schools for women like they went to school but they didn't go to like college like they couldn't have like a real university education and even though the show is is largely made of college age uh, people in terms of who's portraying who I think that was kind of a nod to sort of the the target audience and sort of like where all these people are at is they had their one like Emily and Sue go to college episode even if it was just kind of like a, a you know a trick and and they, they go to this a lecture from a famed volcanologist and they're kind of just curious kind of like us watching the show figuring out what the show was and very it was a very uh, not only a sort of a message to the times of like women couldn't go to lectures and attend like academia and like holdings, but sort of like a, a message to 
people to like get out there and try new things and be rebellious. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, but you wrote down on your list uh, themes for all the episodes. And I know we, we kind of briefly talked about them, but do you want to break it down even more explicitly too? Yeah, so um, I think the one, another one I have is, is the uh, the one of episode nine, like the, the solar eclipse, when uh, the one I have is independence. And this is really when, like, Edward is off doing uh, his uh, political duties. Yes, Mr. Dickinson is, is off doing his political duties. Uh, Mrs. Dickinson is in the home, but she's kind of, like, she's kind of mixed up. Like, she can't quite handle it all, I think. She's, she's, having, uh, she's having trouble. She's having an existential uh, crisis. Yeah. A midlife yeah. crisis. And a lot of this episode is Emily and Ben venturing out to see the solar eclipse. And a lot of the other characters are there and they, they have their own, everybody has their own way of viewing the eclipse. Uh, like Maggie looks at a, uh, the reflection in a pail of water um emily and ben have these like smoked glass pieces where they can like view and look, hold the glass piece up to their eye and, and see the the solar coast kind of like sunglasses uh george has he has like a paper uh with a hole cut out of it so he can kind of see the reflection like through like a pinhole and so they everybody has their own way of viewing it I thought that was really cool and it fit with independence. And then the other thing with independence is Emily and Ben make a pact to uh, anti-marry each other. And they go through this like proposal ritual and Ben puts the ring on her thumb. And this is the ring that he carried around to sort of um, make it seem like he was married, but in reality he wasn't married. And that was kind of his excuse for not having a wife and so it was very funny that they, they kind of uh did their ritual and made, made that like fly in the face of typical marriage uh typical uh practices and i thought that was very uh in line with emily dickinson's personality and, and the way she carried herself you know without sort of thinking what uh what society told her to do and just kind of did her own thing independently so I thought that was very uh, fitting in this episode. Yeah, um, I thought it was really interesting and fascinating and stuff. Um, too, I I really love this episode. That that episode in particular, um, the, at least the the half that's really happy and stuff. The mm. other half is is a little rough and tumble. <laughs> Um, yeah, next half of the whole thing. Yeah, dealing with it, it goes. It, it, this show, the show works in a, a lot of extremes, which is perfect for Americans. Um, and oh my gosh. Uh, uh, it, it gives you extreme yeah. highs of love and joy and um, beautiful moments, and then it brings you to extreme lows after that. Um, I'm like a drug. Yeah. Yeah, you're like sitting there on the sofa after each episode, like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. 
<laughs> and this show is written as a comedy, uh, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. Um, it's it's not. I mean, it has very dramatic tones, um, but it's 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 definitely in the realm of cr- comedy, not drama. Um, just something to know. But uh, yeah, um, is there any ep- other episodes we should talk about before we get into the the main cast of characters? Um, I think we can kind of just wrap up the final episode, uh, with sort of the second half of that, the, with, so, in the episode with the solar eclipse, Ben is sick, he has a cough, and like we kind of said before, he comes down with tuberculosis, and he's bedridden, and he kind of has his moment with Emily at the end of the episode where... Uh, they hold hands, and he, he keeps telling her how uh, great a writer she's going to be and how she's going to change the world, and that he's sad that he can't really be there for her, and, and she's kind of, she can't really see it. Like, she's like, no, 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 you're going to be okay, and she's kind of, like, in denial almost, and she, you can almost see her going through the stages of grief even before he dies, and and, and this whole uh, next episode is really about Emily going through that grieving process and sort of going through the hardship of losing someone and really dealing with loss and seeing death in a different way that isn't the sort of romanticized way that she did in the beginning of the season, especially in in the first episode, and sort of a more uh, mature view of of death and more serious view of of how uh, to deal with those things. And I think that's a very uh, profound statement in terms of like how the show offers it and what they do and how they kind of leave it at the end, um, even though it is a the, the show has like you know that's not it's not the whole plot of that episode. There are other elements with George uh, going to Emily trying to uh, go west. There's the, the Dickinson wedding with Austin and. Sue, so there's other things that happen in there that are, uh, I guess the B plot, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to dissect the show with A plots and B plots, but um, in terms of Emily's journey in this in this season, that's sort of the main tact for her, is, is how she deals with uh, the loss in, in that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's a pretty good point. Um, I don't know. What else? Do you guys want to say anything else, Jared? Because I... I think Duncan did a great job covering. Good job, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to Duncan. Duncan gets gets the good job award.
let's let's jump into characters. Um, so, what what order do we want to go in? Um, I realize we forgot to talk about one of the imaginary characters for Emily, um, and that is the bee. So I did a little research on the bee and what what does a bee symbolize? Um, and the bee only shows up three times throughout the series, and it's very for brief moments. It's in the uh, Wild Nights episode. It's in the Sickness episode, right? Doesn't he show up? Is it the Sickness episode? I think so. Yeah, when she's yeah. like when she's like trying to write and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's the sickness of. She's, she's alone in her room, so she, she that would be a, a, a the best way to hallucinate is when you're going crazy and and quarantine. Yeah. So there's that, and then the bee shows up in the final episode during the funeral, which kind of makes sense. Um, but I looked up what a, what bee symbolism means, and what I found was a bee symbolizes community, brightness, and personal power, which sounds kind of fitting for Emily Dickinson. Um, and the bee is like her, like, I, I, it's a weird to say this, but the bee is kind of her booty call in, in some, in explain, s- wait, wait a minute. Are you God sure explain. you didn't get this crossed up with the bee movie? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Are you sure you didn't even go into a, some weird, like, bee movie, bee theories, oh r slash no. no, 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 okay. no. All right, I'll believe you. I don't know. I'm gonna hop in, off the chat. In, in, the here. <laughs> in Wild Nights, in Wild Nights, he Emily is more uh, involved with the bee than she is with any of the real characters in oh, the room. Okay, I guess you. I guess you're right. Yeah. Just just for that episode, and then uh-huh. the bee kind of becomes more of a um, like your homeless bum friend that hangs around a little too long and gets a little too high sometimes. Do, um, do you know who voices the bee? Yes, I do. I don't remember his name, but I know... His name is Jason Mantzoukas. Yes. He is a... Very funny. In Brooklyn yeah, he's also in... Uh, he has a small appearance in John Wick 3 as the TikTok guy. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah. But the bee also uh, dis- is uh, represents... Uh, follow the bee and discover new destinations. Um, the ancient druids saw the bee as symbolizing uh, the sun, the goddess, uh, celebration, and community. So there's a lot of like community, festivals. So it kind of shows up in these ways. Um, and then uh, the mead uh, was usually drunk. So um, bees being drunk on sugar and stuff like that, which kind of makes sense along with the hallucination <laughs> of the bee um and the bee shows up a lot in the intros as well um in the little art intros that we see for about 20 seconds um and then there's uh, a bee that flies around in certain scenes um just like a, a regular bee that flies around purposely um symbolizing that so just kind of interesting thought i might throw that in there um what do you guys think about the bee could have gone my whole life without thinking about that but Thank you for putting that. I get it. It's our job to read way too much into this show. Oh, believe me, I got a lot of... I got a big theory that's going to blow your brain off. Oh, it hit me. 
No, no, in the last 10 minutes of the show, we have to wait until we get to okay. the cast. Okay. It's a specific character. I'm too excited. Yeah. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I'm making you wait, too. I, I, you, you didn't make me wait long enough. But, You're teasing but, us. Uh, you should have taken a break or something. <laughs> Um, okay, well, in that case, let, should we jump into the, the main characters? Actually, this time? Alright, um, so our main characters, I think I want to start with, um, let's start with Emily. Let's just, let's just get, get it over with. Um, let's, let's cover, cover Emily, we'll do Emily, Ben, Sue, George, and then the rest of the Dickinsons. How does that sound? Sounds good. I like that. Okay. So I wrote down for Emily is she's uh, a little bit snooty um, and a little bit uh, a a little bit pompous, but she's right. She's not wrong. Um, But she is uh, not super aware of everyone else um, and kind of wants the world to revolve around her. Um, And that's pretty apparent with Sue. Sue's kind of the only character that really pushes back. Um, on her that she kind of listens to whereas the other characters when they are talking to uh, uh, Emily and they might be arguing with her she's more ignorant of it except for a little bit with her dad um, especially in the first episode Um, and then I also wrote she is the most important people to her are Sue and Ben um, and she really loves chaos Um, this is very apparent in the uh, party episode and uh, she really likes to watch things um, get crazy a little bit, you know. Uh, yeah, she's she's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Out of this whole thing. <laughs> the main character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I know she's the main main <laughs> character, but I don't care. She's still my favorite character. <laughs> okay. I think I think. Um... And. Terms, I'm gonna uh, adjust the structure of this a little bit. We should put through all the characters. Um, we should take a little break and then uh, come up with our uh, our character that we most associate ourselves with. Oh, and then, like and a then friends the, quiz. The end, yeah. And at the end, then uh, we'll come back with my crazy theory at the, at the very end. Okay. Okay. I, so I already got mine. I'm good. Okay. I don't even have any. I don't even need time to think about it. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll continue going through the characters then. Um, who's, who's next, Lucas? So next is Ben. So actually, let's end with Sue. Let's put Sue at the end. Um, but my next character is Ben. So um, I've talked about Ben a little bit. Uh, what do you guys? What are your guys' opinions on Ben as a character? As the character, I wish he stuck longer. How many episodes was he in? He was in, he was in so he starts in the sickness four. episode and he ends in the last episode. So four episodes. Yeah. It basically, it all seems... the ones that we saw today, Jared, right? Like, just for the back half. Yeah. Last I really episode. wish they would have explored his character more, and I get why they ended it because they're like, okay, we're done with the season now. That's it. But at the same time, I wish they would have explored the relationship that Emily was building with him a little bit more before he died, before they killed him off. (laughs) 
Maybe mm. kind of sad. Spoilers. Spoilers. On Sorry. I, I said he died like three times. Already. No, we, we've we've mentioned this. Oh, okay. I don't, know <laughs> I don't feel bad anymore. No. Because <laughs> on the surface of it, it really felt like he was kind of just like a, a little mini copy of Emily, and and there wasn't too much that set him apart, other than the fact that. Um, he had his own separate life but like i felt like they it, it, he, he just was somebody that that emily could relate to heavily and then like that was it there wasn't too much else like that we got to see of him like because i would like to more, see more of him but, yeah you know, and and their relationship kind of was pretty him. perfect and when you have something perfect like that it can't stay perfect for long otherwise <sighs> otherwise the audience know. will oh, no. will disconnect with its <laughs> validity Rayla all over again <laughs> uh, jared do you want to know the biggest difference between emily and ben what Ben's dead and Emily's still alive. Oh, I'm loving dead. Perfect man. Dead on the inside. Um, do we want to talk about uh, uh, Ben's potential uh, question at the end whether or not he was actually gay? I, I said that in like the first like. Well, but let's 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 discuss that a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I I totally think that uh, people in real life question Ben Newton's sexuality. The discussion is yes. like they didn't have they didn't have to to uh, <laughs> like create that storyline. That storyline was given to them by history. Mm-hmm. Oh really? I didn't know that. Um, I mean, it makes sense considering he wore the wedding ring and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, same with Sue. I, I did a little research on Sue, too, and that's that's pretty historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Ben is, uh, for context, Ben is the assistant to Edward Dickinson um, when he is doing his politician work. Uh, ben is helping him with his firm and uh, helping him do the books and stuff. So that is how Ben is connected, and uh, Ben and Emily stumble into each other. Uh, by happen circumstance, and uh, Emily falls uh, hopelessly in love with Ben uh, pretty quickly after Ben kind of reciprocates everything that uh, Emily says. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and he really understands her. <laughs> he really understands her on a deep level. Like the, I don't know what episode it was because I. I've seen them all so compact now, especially the back half of the season. But um, she she starts talking about how to how to understand someone on a on a deep level, and they they say it like it's like a poet's understanding or something like that. And then they contrast it immediately with Austin and Sue, who kind of don't really understand each other, and they have this weird like dance they do where they can't Austin can't quite like. That's his whole thing. Like, he can't understand Sue, and that's that's why he loves her so much. And then on the other side of it, uh, Ben and Emily understand each other almost, like, perfectly. And that, that part of it's a really interesting dichotomy that I, I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, what do you think about 
uh, Sue being kind of the first character to, like, really question Ben. I think what do you it, mean? It's... Question. So Sue is the first one to be like, Emily, why are you flirting with Ben so much? This is oh. this is unacceptable. And then well, she okay. I, she she later clues into it. But Yeah, I think it's appropriate in this sense for Sue to be the first one to question because Sue is one of the closest people to Emily. Mm-hmm. So I think it's only fair that she should be the one to point out to Emily, oh hey, you might want to be careful with that. Right. Yeah, I think he might be gay. <laughs> Sue Sue has really good gaydar. Takes one to know one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's move on to. Should we move on to Austin or Lavinia? Austin. Oh oh wait. Uh, excuse me. We still have George. Let's talk about George. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Um, yeah, so let's. So George uh, is a character that loves Emily. Emily does not love him. Um, I, I personally, when I first met George, he, when you first meet George as a character, he's kind, he's kind of a good boy. Um, but you realize as time goes on, he becomes, he becomes kind of manipulative, um, because he's so enamored with the idea of Emily that he can't see past that. Um, and uh, it be- he, he's kind of, he's more or less a little neck, bo- neck beardy, um, a little, a little milady, um, you know. He doesn't there. have his fedora yet. He gets it at the end of the end <laughs> season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He does have the hat. <laughs> Forget about that. Um, but yeah, what, what do you guys want to say about George? Yeah, at the beginning, when you first meet him, you're kind of made as a viewer to love him. You're yeah. like, aw, poor dude. He wants Emily to publish Emily's him. poem. Yeah, like, you think of him as a super sweet guy who's just in love with this girl that doesn't love him back. And you're like, okay, I can kind of feel bad for you. Yeah. But as the episodes progress, you're like, oh, man, this guy's... Yeah, that that's kind of funny. Yeah, the other depiction of the other authors in this series is kind of funny. Their little cameo appearances, um, but yeah. Uh, do we need to say anything else about George? No, I think he got all the time he deserves. Okay. 
<laughs> I, I think they could totally do his own yeah. his own series. Like Apple Plus needs like his own their own series of George like in the old west becoming like a minor like ten years plus. From <laughs> I Jameson. bet I bet next season we'll get their own thing. I bet next season. No, 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 we'll... completely different. Like no, just skip, just like skip whatever. Get rid of Dickinson. Uh, it becomes George now. No, 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 like like a different show. Like they need more shows, right? Because there's only like six shows in this thing. There's it... like Jason Momoa. And yeah, like Billy Eilish documentary and like Dickinson. They need another. Sh- they could just move George and say he went to the old west. He's now on the. He's on this different show where yeah. we cast him and have more people. And they could do like an American West show. Yeah. And 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 do that and just make it like. His thing. Yeah. Spinoff show. Spinoff. In the Dickinson in the Dickinson cinematic universe. Yes. But it could be a totally different genre and serious and a different actor and all that. This yeah. is our pitch, Apple TV. Yeah. Hire us. We, us. We'll make podcasts on all of your Give shows. Give us our cut. <laughs> we'll make the, the universe happen. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to Mr. and Miss. Let's move on to Mr. and Mrs. Dickinson. I think that's a little bit better. Um, so let's talk about Mrs. Dickinson first. The uh, goody uh, housewife um, only cares about doing chores and making sure the husband is appeased and uh, sm- behind people's backs might be an alcoholic. That's might. <laughs> might. Let's let's talk about Mrs. Dickinson for a second. That's her ti- that's her title. She is not called anything else but Mrs. Dickinson. Which I think is kind of fitting for a character that doesn't want, you know, any sort of notoriety. She just wants to be a wife. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but I think it's kind of interesting that her character is only known by Mrs. Dickinson. Or it, her, her real name is is Emily Norcross Dickinson. That's right. I forget that they, yeah, because they mentioned that earlier. But, but yeah, very, very, like, regal, like, monarch, almost naming convention. Yeah. They name the doctor. After the mother with a different middle name. Just like the Queen of England. Yeah. Her mother was also named Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, I like how she keeps like so much about how, uh, <laughs> being a Norcross. Yes, like, the Norcross, the Norcross gut. The Norcross yeah. curse. Hopefully uh, set self on fire. Yes. Oh no, it's the Norcross curse. <laughs> She's very obsessed with the idea of being a wife. Um, and that's very apparent with her interactions with Sue and like during the wedding. Um, and as soon as the husband, as soon as Edward walks out uh, for business trips and stuff, she feels like she's completely useless. Um, yeah, she's going through a, a crisis. Yeah. All she knows herself as is a wife. And once that title is kind of gone for her she has an existential crisis because now she doesn't know who she is yeah also are we gonna mention the fact that um uh edward dickinson cheated on her before they were to get married (laughs) that happens so fast you kind of almost miss it and then it's gone it's never mentioned again yeah Everybody confiding in Emily when she's about when she's on her uh, fake deathbed. <laughs> oh, I don't even think I saw that this this time. 
I remember it from the first time, but I don't. Now that you guys say it, I don't remember watching it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a one. It is a one-time line. So I don't. I don't know. Um. Yeah. What What other opinions do we have on 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 Emily Norcross Dickinson? She has the most outrageous lines of any character. She really does. The line that you could take out and isolate and be like, what is this show doing? Yeah. Lavinia, what makes you think the Indians would want you? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I almost died when that line was said. Oh. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Not to mention, she's she's not a huge fan of her children. Um, No. She's all about Edward. That's her only purpose in life. Do you remember when um, Austin was giving the speech at, uh, what event was it? It was like in the first the three train. episodes, I it think. It was like the train. Yeah, it was the train episode. And she goes, I, uh, what did she say? She, she's like, I kept my legs closed too long. Oh, God. Before. <laughs> you remember that before I was giving birth? Well, I was giving birth to Austin, and I think that was a mistake now. <laughs> like, Killed me. Yeah. To any COVID nineteen advice from Emily Norcostic, <laughs> <laughs> or any medical advice whatsoever. Although, although out of all the people in this show, uh, Jane Kroskowski uh, has the most comedy I- I- I under her belt. So she's very yeah. funny from her days in Thirty Rock and other places like that. So it, it makes sense that they gave her the most ridiculous character, and she handles it super well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, what what else should we do? Is there anything else we want to say before jumping on to Edward Dick- Dickinson, the man of the house? Mm-hmm. No? Okay, so Edward Dickinson, let's talk about that. Um so Edward Dickinson is uh, the father of all of the Dickinsons. He, uh, I, I wrote him as he's a politician. Um, he only really cares about his company and his reputation um, and his legacy, and he thinks if anything is to interfere with it even slightly, it needs to be destroyed and burned, um, basically. Uh, and it, it's weird how Mr. Dickinson, a.k.a. Edward Dickinson, interacts in this series because uh, he both acts as like, ah, oh, yes, you can do this, Emily, but also acts as a very um, a uh, 1800s version of a helicopter parent, wouldn't you say? He's, like, weirdly uh, inconsistent with the way he parents. Like, in the first two episodes, he's like, ah, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then when he when she crosses the line, he's like, "Okay, you we gotta really put you in line here." And it's like very interesting, the way they sort of deal with that relationship is, some days it's good and some days it's bad, and it's a different sort of a thing than I think what parents are like now. But there's definitely relatable elements to it, and that's what the show is trying to capture: is like daughters are gonna fight with their fathers, and that's that's okay. Like that's part of being a parent is like having a misunderstanding with your kid and reconciling and you know having them learn that whatever lesson they were trying to learn and admitting your faults when you're wrong and 
I, I think that the show does a good job of that. And I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to this at the end after after uh, we, we say where our characters are about my uh, Edward uh, theory. Your Edward what? My, my Edward theory. Oh, yeah, yeah it cut the, off for a second. the final scenes we see him. I see. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on to Austin. Or wait, did you guys want to say anything about Mr. Edward Dickinson? Or have you made your piece? I, I, don't, I don't want to ignore you. Jared and Keziah. Oh, man. I kind of have mixed feelings about his character. Just in general. Because at first you're like, okay, he's okay. And then there are moments where you're like, mm, I don't like that. Mainly revolving around his relationship with Emily and how he treats her as a person. Basically, the whole woman's suffrage thing, which was a huge major issue at the time. I think his inconsistency with parenting is partially lying in that because he does want Emily to live her best life and, you know, make a name for herself. But also he struggles with the whole concept of, you know, where women were at that time and how other people are going to perceive them, him as a person. And that's mentioned so many times in so many episodes. And so I kind of sympathize with him in a way because of that, because I realized that would be a difficult thing. But also, you kind of hate him for it. <laughs> like the moment where he slaps Emily, I was totally turned off to his character. I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't like you anymore. Like there were moments where I liked you, but now I don't like you. He definitely, uh, you can tell, they don't really, I don't know if they do a good job of showing it, but you can definitely tell that like, in the moments after that, he he feels remorseful of what he did, but there's kind of no really recovering that from like an, uh, sort of a, uh, the, how it looks like from a, uh, optics perspective. Like he's, he's just kind of like, he made a mistake and like, he has to live with it, I guess. Like, there's no real going back from that. Um, but yeah, he and he definitely lets his like political uh, views sort of interrupt his ability to be a parent and, and what's best for his family. And I think in today's world, it's the exact opposite. Like you check your sort of feelings at the door and you let your children, you know, live their best lives uh, and, and really that's kind of the, the contrast we see from today's uh, parents and sort of people from a different time, which I think this show does a good job of bringing that front and center into uh, today's today's household. Yeah. That's good. Anything else? He definitely parents like he does his politics. Yes. <laughs> That's that is a great comment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on to Austin. Um, so Austin kind of really follows that character curve that we were talking about be talking about before, where he starts off kind of, you know, like, yeah, I'm, you know, top dog, like kind of star athlete jock kind of thing. 
Um, but slowly kind of transitions towards the mid-season post-episode 3. Um, and yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a little interesting. What do you guys, what do you guys think about Austin? Um, and, oh, I wrote down he, he's kind of a, he's, uh, he's kind of a jerk when George is around. Have you noticed that? And he, when he disappears, he doesn't really, he's, he's less of a jerk. So I wonder if like, it's pure pressure influence of both his dad and, uh, George and other people like that. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? That's a really good point. I totally didn't notice until now. Uh, the peer pressure definitely gets the best of him. He's almost like molded. Now that you said it, I, I realize he's almost like molded by the people around him. And uh, like when when Sue sort of like questions her like livelihood and her like place in the world, he uh, sort of is there for her and and sort of addresses the situation. But then if like George is there and George is like trying to talk game at Emily and you know he's like oh yeah I'm gonna marry your sister and then Austin immediately shuts that down and he's like no that's ridiculous like and he kind of just like he uses that as an opportunity to to make fun of Emily so it's like it's kind of like he just like rises and falls to the occasion depending on what's presented and it's really like a wide range of, of possibilities uh, so he's kind of unpredictable in that way, kind of like his other sister, Lavinia. Jared, Keziah, what do you guys want to say? I, I, I like Austin. Deep, deep down, I, I, I feel her. <laughs> he becomes best boy at, at times. Yes. Yes. He doesn't always. He doesn't end that way. Um, like the yeah. fact that he lies to his parents about Emily having a mood when that's not at all the truth. Mm-hmm. There will definitely be repercussions in season two for Austin, depending on how time jumpy they get. Yeah. What anything else we want to say about it, Austin? Oh yeah, go ahead, Jared. I think it, I think it kind of went um, overboard as soon as. Um, as soon as the man of the house left for a while, mm-hmm. and Austin kind of like w- let that go to his head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like the only time I-, I think when he was talking to Emily in the greenhouse and and yelling at her for um for messing around with Sue right before the the wedding. It was kind of, um, you could kind of feel him talking to himself in talking to Emily as he was saying all this stuff like, I'm the man of the house, you need to be um, listening to to what I say now as soon as, uh, as soon as uh, father's gone, he's, it's, he build himself up like you you can't come to the wedding just give me the the flowers just stay here think about what you've done <laughs> yeah and i also want to say that like austin 
has this like kind of I mean uh, with the peer pressure thing as well he he thinks what he does is right and that's not always the case I think the best example of that is the gravestone arc um, oh, no. where where he <laughs> where he so he he spends an entire episode trying to get this gravestone to be in the right spot uh, for uh, for uh, Sue and Austin, and he's like, I he's basically like, I need to set up for the rest of our lives so I can really close this down. But that's not even remotely close to what Sue wants and what people even well, like consider like, as like a, totally, a big deal. You're totally going over the fact that he was willing to dig up a dead baby in order to make space next <laughs> to Sue's gravestone. She like, was gonna be so happy. Yep. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> yeah. Forever. Yeah. And then they sit there watching the two grave grave diggers dig out the dead. <laughs> it was such a bad scene. Poor poor uh Sue. <laughs> I think that scene really touches on kind of how out of touch Austin is at moments mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. even though he he tends to think he understands Sue and he understands some other people around him this shows you that he does because when he thinks that something is right or when he wants to do something he doesn't really take into consideration that he could be wrong yeah just like his father and it seems yeah. like the only it seems like the only times when he actually makes decisions that you know is good it's when he's thinking for himself um and not thinking about you know what others think about him um and stuff like the the really nice conversation between uh austin and and emily um when they're talking about you know wanting sue and sue hasn't written in a while kind of thing um it's kind of interesting Anything else we want to say about Austin before moving on to my favorite character? I think we got it. All right, Lavinia. Let's oh, talk <laughs> about Lavinia. So I personally love Lavinia because I think she has the most powerful story arc in the whole season. Um, Whoa. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that out the That's gate. Impressive. Um, uh, she is, uh, very, uh, surrounded by the idea of attention. She wants attention. She wants to be loved. Um, maybe not, she doesn't really understand, like, the idea of that and what that truly means, but she wants the idea of love, um, from her parents, from her siblings, and from her uh friends she wants to be loved by them and she wants to be seen by them and that sort of thing um and she uh basically tries to follow within the popular girls um you know lifestyles uh so much so that it gets in gets her into a little bit of trouble um but uh, i think my favorite episode of lavinia is the is the painting episode because that's when her character turns 
Um, and she starts figuring things out for herself. Um, and you see it immediately uh, when she's dissatisfied with how she looks in the in the painting, and she's like, "This isn't this isn't what I want." And she's like, "Wait a minute, I I can I can take this into my own hands of sorts." So. I don't know. What do you guys think about uh, Lavinia as a character? I was definitely going to say that I, I think she's my favorite too, just because that the whole arc had, had so much. I felt like she got more actual development done than anybody else in the show mm-hmm. in, in the first season. With, and I, I feel like it kind of meant more because you could like you could like feel that something really stuck after she uh, after she kind of went through her whole um, I'm almost like almost body positivity uh, revelation kind of mm-hmm And then it actually kind of affected, like, how she she felt about uh, Joseph later. Yeah. Duncan, Kazaya, what do you think about Lavinia? Lavinia... Lavinia is extremely unpredictable. And, and she's, like... I, I think part of that is, is, like, what you said, that she's ignored by the family. She's kind of last in line. And, and that part of it, maybe it contributes to sort of how we see here unfold. But, but I, I kind of agree with, with um, what you were getting at with your your uh, bold statement, where it's like her arc is, is the most clean like thing you can look at and say, oh, she really ended up in a completely different place and grew in the season, uh, I would say almost more than Emily. Um, even though there are a lot of themes that I pointed to earlier about Emily's journey over the season, I think Lavinia's is much more uh, apparent in like the direct scenes that you're seeing, whereas the Emily's might be more implied based on uh, things that happen at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah. Um, and I also like how uh, Lavinia and Emily's relationship is. Like, there is a little bit of respect. Um, I mean, there's definitely the moments where, like, Lavinia's like, um, you need to take the water out because mom told you to, uh, kind of thing. But also, Lavinia and Emily seem to kind of confide in each other. Like, I really like that moment when they're walking out of the funeral and then Emily's like, ah, oh, mine will be better. And uh, Lavinia's like, yeah, whatever. You're very weird, but I, I, I can tolerate you. So there's this kind of like a, you know, camaraderie vibe between the two sisters um, that I kind of like um, between the two. And um, the, the the little moment when uh, Emily tells Lavinia that Ben's not married, uh, and Lavinia's like, ooh, I like this. Like, it's, it's very cute. Um, so I, I quite love uh, Lavinia's character in that that light um because i you were gonna say something i think duncan pretty much said it and so did you okay. it's all good all right i didn't want i didn't want to steal your thunder um 
No, you're good. Okay. Um, so our last character, Sue, played by Ella Hunt. What What do we want to say about Sue, guys? What do you think of that? I said she's a great actress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would really like to see more of her movies. I, there's probably others that we haven't gotten into yet. She's she's in a lot of British stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks like. That's because she is British. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think some of the other people on this show aren't British. Like, almost universally not British. Because Toby Huss is American. The point is that Edward. So, I, I, yeah, now that I think about it. Ella Hunt might be the only British person from the main uh, six people here. She's in some sort of movie with Victoria Justice. Oh, really? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm. It's called Summer Night. That came out last year, it looks like. She's been busy then if she had Anna and the Apocalypse, Dickinson, and... Anna and the Apocalypse came out in 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, regarding Sue, uh, we we kind of touched this, touched on this in the the open the opening part, but death has followed her around basically her entire life. She when we meet her, her sister has died, and they they kind of focus on that depending on how far you read into it. Uh, but really, she's she's Emily's mirror, and and she keeps her grounded. Um, Kind of the sense that like like Ben is her true mirror, where she where he reflects exactly what she's feeling, but Sue kind of rounds her out in the right way, whereas she kind of sees uh, the her reflection in Sue where it's like backwards almost. I was um, so the, there's like multiple kinds of mirrors in this in this show, and I think over the course of the season they do a really good job of handling that, especially when these elements come up like Ben we only see him on the second half or the like the second half of the season and he's the true mirror whereas Sue we see her throughout the season and and she's kind of the, the, what I call the regular mirror where it, it is um what you see in the in the picture but backwards kind of the, the opposite the exact reciprocal of Emily and that that part of it, it, it might just be by chance, or it might be like with intention of how they root the characters within the structure of the the season and, and the episodes. Um, yeah, I wrote down she's a survivalist, um, especially in the first, I would say six episodes. She is, uh, she does what is needed to survive. Um, you know, and part of that's because of the death of her family, but she also is like, she's realistic. She's an, she's a realist, not an optimist. Um, you know, where Emily is this optimist and stuff, and um, so are a lot of the other characters. But um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of how it is. He's she's a realist, um, and she has to be in order to survive. Um, and, uh, she kind of gets tied 
in with the Dickinsons a little too much and it blows up in her face and she has to like escape from it. Um, but yeah, what do you guys, what, what else do you want to say about Sue? I kind of got the feeling that like a whole lot of her, her personality was, was like stunted because of, she, she, she like blew up about this in the, um, in the Wild Nights episode where yeah. uh, she felt um, suffocated by uh, Emily and Austin both. And that's kind of why she, and that's why she left for uh, Boston. Right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like in the first um, couple of episodes, she didn't really get that much, like actual chance to to say to express herself yeah but then later they did a like she got she got her chance to actually start like standing up for herself and start um saying what was on her mind yeah do we want to talk about the the i mean we've talked about it a lot but um the the black and white dresses between sue and uh uh, Emily and how it flip flops towards the end of the season where Sue's in the white dress and uh, Emily's in the black dress. I was going to point to something where uh, the Dickinsons kind of learn how to deal with Sue's situation as the season goes along. Like in the beginning, they make really awful comments about how her family died and it's really awkward and almost like weirdly funny I guess if you're watching it like us and we've already seen this show and it's like oh that's awkward like but then I think in uh as the season goes along they really sort of adopt her as part of the family uh not just through marriage but really out of necessity so I think they they get better at that and more accepting as that goes along and especially after she comes back like like you guys said um, she definitely finds her place and is able to uh, be sort of a a calming presence in the the home when she comes back and she kind of reunites with Emily after uh, she finds out that Emily was sick and faking her sickness and she was really concerned but you know they the show they don't quite show how that how that gets uh, resolved in like a dialogue sense. It's more of like a how the characters are feeling and where other events take it. Um, like probably like episode seven or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kazaya, do you, do you have anything to add? Not really. I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, Duncan, about the mere aspect of Emily and Sue's relationship, I think that kind of ties in with the color of the dresses also. Mm-hmm. Like they're just opposites throughout the season. At the beginning, you see Sue's mourning the loss of her family, and Emily is kind of just there. <laughs> and then at the end, their roles are kind of flipped, where Sue's finally found her place, and Emily's mourning the loss of Ben. And so you kind of just see that roll flip. And I think I think that's really all what the, the dress color means. 
And of course, they're they're trying to, uh, to at the start they they put Emily Dickinson in, uh, and she even wears white to the funeral, which you're not supposed to do. But mm-hmm. uh, she is known for wearing white uh, in um, a historical sense. So I think that's why they they put her in that white dress a lot up until the end when it's Sue's turn to wear the white dress, and that kind of reconforms back to the wedding attire. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, quickly before we jump into uh, Duncan's final thing, and Duncan, I think we'll just wrap up with it. I, I don't think we need to take mm-hmm. a break. Um, but uh, uh, is um, the colors of the dresses? Have you guys noticed that there's there's a very every dress that Emily Dickinson and some of the other characters wear, especially the Dickinson family. Um, all have very distinct colors. Uh, what do you guys think about the the use of color, the colored dresses, and how it plays into um, the series? Um, those being, we have white in the beginning. We have red when uh, Emily's with death. Uh, we have black when mourning. Uh, we have green. We have blue during the party. Um, we have... Uh, other stuff like that. What do, you, what do you guys think about that? And doesn't she wear a green one somewhere in there too? Something like that. I think she does. Maybe I'm wrong. But Lavinia wears yellow at some point. Lavinia does wear yellow. That kind of goes with her and bright the, kind of personality. The mother wears an orange, like almost like a peach color. Yeah. So they really have a rainbow of colors in there. Just with the dresses alone. So, what do you guys think about that? Is that is that at all important to you, as it is as it was to me? It's okay if not. No, no worries. Wh- what what did you think about that? Because I don't think I was paying enough attention. <laughs> I didn't notice it until now, but now that you say it, it's it's definitely a rainbow of color. Yeah, I mean, I just think about other other pieces of literature and stuff like that um, is pretty common. Like in, I know in The Great Gatsby, uh, color plays a pretty primary role um, and stuff like that. So it just, I, besides the black and white dresses, I think it's also important to acknowledge that. And we actually see Lavinia's wearing the blue dress that Emily was wearing in the party scene. Um, so that's kind of an interesting combo. Um, and the red dress, what does that represent? Does that represent, like, blood and death? Or, like, what, is, what does that represent? I think that's... The, the, I think the red dress, the black, and the white are kind of the most important ones. And the blue. Because um, they're all very... They're all very, like, this satin color. Or they're very stark colors. I don't know. Um, I, I think it's just interesting um, in that purpose. Um... And I think it's very significant for the tones of what's happening on screen and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. any, any... I have something to say about the, the red dress. Yeah, go for it. So the more I watched the episodes and the more I saw those moments where Emily was wearing the red dress with death, I kept thinking to myself, why, why is she wearing red? Like, Because you associate that red dress with her being with death. Every yeah. single time she wears it's it, only she it's death. only worn like, with death. It's only with death. So I was like, why the heck is that? And I was thinking about it today, and I was like, you know, maybe it's because, like, this is the nicest 
that you see Emily throughout this whole, like every, all the episodes. Yeah, that's right. She's super decked out. The super decked out, like full face. Her hair is all cute and curly and up. And then she has this amazing red satin dress. And I think what I get out of that is, you know, when, (laughs) at least for me, when I'm going... (laughs) Going on a date and I, I'm expecting to be with someone, I like to look nice. Like, I take my time to go out of my way, make sure I look good because I'm I'm going to be with this person and they, I want them to see me in that way. And I think that's kind of what she's doing with death. Because she, she wants to make sure she's ready and she's the best that she can be. Hmm kind of thing that's interesting i don't know how to better say it. I no don't that's know how to that's say really that, good it's, it's almost it's almost like she's preparing herself to meet death yeah and why do you think it was red specifically i don't i don't know why the specific color let me say, let me do a little safari search to save us <laughs> red symbolism jared what do you think it was well <laughs> Because I, because I symbol, uh, I think most people um, associate red with love and passion, um, so it's it's very obviously said um, Emily's in love with death, so I think that has something to do with it. But also I think that um, the death is kind of something that uh, is what she's most passionate about talking about mm-hmm. and passionate about writing about so I think that has something to do with um, why she's dressing up in red to to go meet her muse yeah yeah and it's it's stated also that death and her have like a very almost pretty intimate like affair um, so it kind of makes sense but you you're definitely on the nose there uh, Jared um because i'm looking at it right now it says red is the color of fire and blood it can also symbolize energy war danger strength determination passion as well as love so i think i think you're you hit it right there um jared yes yeah but i think i i think i was only thinking about the the color i I really like how because i brought in the I always look like a hobo. I, I don't think <laughs> I, I ain't dressing up for for dates like that. I, I always I, I like shave and I'm like, wow, I look nice. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 it doesn't take very much for you to look good though, Jared. That's that's one thing I can say. <laughs> oh, oh nice roast question mark no it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a roast i'm 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 genuinely being serious here i think jared glows up really easily um and and i was gonna i I was gonna comment earlier kazaya but i I didn't know if it was gonna be a little too sexual but um i definitely i definitely god we're doing an episode about dickinson (laughs) i definitely think that uh, your your accurate statement of when you get all dressed up that's that that is a true oh statement. <clears throat> we're talking about Dickinson. Yes, Calm down. we're talking about Dickinson. Um, anywho, 
All right, time to delete the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> delete We're it. Three hours in, we cannot divulge any person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Does that does that cover the the dress conundrum that I had? What color is your dress? What color? What co- color? I don't know. Colors here. I mean, I'm I'm always gonna go blue. I'm wearing my my dark blue shirt right now. So. <laughs> I have a red satin dress. <laughs> Cosplay in blue. Hey. Uh, gold to me. Thanks for that image, because I appreciated that. Oh my god. <laughs> so far up. Anyways, Duncan, do you want to? I'm the bee. Yeah, tag yourself. Tag yourself. <laughs> all right, all right. We're moving on to we're moving on to tags. What character are you in Dickinson, guys? Duncan, since you you uh, introduced the idea, why don't you start us off? I'm Emily Dickinson because I love chaotic energy. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair. Jared, what, are you sticking with the B or is that just a joke? That was a meme. I think if you... Oh my god. I think if you sprinkle in a little bit of... Um, of Mrs. Dickinson, the just just the alcohol part into the <laughs> and oh take that and mix it with um what's his name Toshiaki. I, I think I think we might be getting somewhere. No, you're Austin. not. You're not a god. Not put Austin in there. You're not no. a gossip guru, Austin's though, too. Jared. Austin's no. Too. I would say you've got the you've got the best boy you've got the best boy aspects of Austin. Best boy. Okay. I I gotcha. Yeah. Um I see myself I see myself kind of as Lavinia, I think. Oh, did we lose Kazaya? Oh there she is. She's back. I'm back. Yeah. I, I see myself as Lavinia. I think that's kind of obvious, though. Um, you know, I, I, I want attention. Are you ignored by your family? No, I'm not ignored by my family. But but I like the... I like the... I like the, the weirdness that that is Lavinia. Um, and that she's kind of okay, shameless. So, uh, yeah. By energy. Yes. Is okay, so Lavinia. is this question... The character... Most like you or the one you relate to most? Tag yourself. If you were to if you were to do a BuzzFeed <laughs> quiz, Kazaya, which character would yeah. you end up with? And you can't. Oh you my can't gosh. Figure out. Oh, is it my turn to answer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. I I don't necessarily see myself as Emily, but she's definitely the character I relate to most. <laughs> like, I love her. Like. <laughs> It's so great. Her one-liners throughout every single episode, I'm like, I love it. And her stick it to the man attitude is so great. I I think with yeah. <laughs> following her struggle. <laughs> no, it's I just mm-hmm. I understand her. Like if I were in her shoes during that time, dealing with all the problems that she was dealing with in the area of being a woman and how people are looking down on you and where you're supposed to be placed, I would have a fit. And so to follow her through that, I'm like, I understand you, girl. I get why you're acting this way. And 
I just, I get her. And I think <laughs> the first moment I, I really thought that Emily was like really taking over my brain and sneaking into my room at night and stealing all my fist unspoken secrets <laughs> was, I think it was in episode three where, that's the party episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's episode three where Emily is high on opium. <laughs> And don't she's at the drugs. house party. <laughs> don't do drugs. I'm not condoning that. And she gets her period and collapses in despair in her sister's room. She drags herself across the room like she's drying, dying. <laughs> and then stuffs her sister's handmade cat pillow into me. Like, because the idea of going downstairs for an actual sanitary napkin is just too hard for her in that moment. That. <laughs> like. I, in that moment, I was like, this show is coming specifically for me. This, th th why are they attacking me like this? Like, that scene is so accurate that I'm sure if I showed it to any of my girlfriends, they would all screech with joy at how beautiful the moment is portrayed. And I've, <laughs> I've watched desperate this episode so, so many desperate times. Desperate times, girl. Again. Emily just gets it. Desperate times, girl. But like, not just that episode, but there's so many other moments where I'm like, man, Emily just gets me. I truly hope that you and Vidi are not the only girls to watch this show. I, I, I truly hope <laughs> Apple has enough subscribers uh, that people watch this show besides us. Um, well, on IMDb, it has a 7.1. I don't know, man. There might only be three subscribers. On, on IMDb, it has a 7.1, uh, and there's 3,554 views, so... There's at least that many people watching it. Yeah. I don't know how many of those are at men least, or women. At least one other girl has watched the show yeah. besides me and Fiddy. I, I wouldn't. Statistics. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's watching it and who's not. But anywho. Um, yeah, is that has everyone kind of cataloged themselves? Have, have we all been tagged? I was kind of hoping someone would tag themselves as death, but... <laughs> nope, that's not happening, I guess. <laughs> it's uh, not really relatable for me. <laughs> Here we gather today to mourn the loss of Emily Dickinson. So, so Jared, Jared pointed out something uh, today on death that I didn't know. Um, it was the bones. Mm -hmm. He, he like goes to reach to open up the door to kick Emily out of, out of his wagon. And you can see just in the slit right in between where his uh, shirt ends and his glove begins. Uh, it is not contoured like an arm. It You can just barely see there's kind of like um, double, like two layers of, of color, like a little white on the, on the black shadows. And that is definitely not a human arm. I, I, I'm pretty sure if you go back and see it, like, yeah. He's got Pirates in the there's Caribbean syndrome? Too. Yes. Yeah, there's another oh. moment, too, where he sticks his hand on his scepter or something. I don't remember what he sticks mm -hmm. on, but you see, like, his wrist of bones. Yeah. I need to go back and look at that. Charcoal color. Like, very, very, yeah. Very pirates, like I said. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, another franchise frenzy we can cover in the future. Um, uh, okay. Uh, is that was that your theory, Duncan, or do you want to explain that your? That was not the thing. Okay. That was not the, the crazy theory. Let's the crazy theory. 
Um, let's hear your theory, and then let's do season two predictions, and then we'll finish this up. Okay, I, yeah, sounds good. I don't know if I have any season two predictions, but I have this. Um, the final scene with Edward and Emily is not actually happening in real life. It is, to, to maintain the sort of historical accuracy that I think Elena Smith is going for, I think that whole scene where Edward kind of comes to terms with uh, Emily being a poet, she's kind of playing this through in her mind and, and trying to gauge how he's going to react. And if she tells him, and, and this sort of like him coming to terms with it might even be something that he takes to his grave and she never gets to actually say. And I think that is kind of the, kind of lines up with all the themes that we've covered in the show is that a lot of these things are not being shown as intended, uh, like real, like history. It's kind of just an interpretation of the feelings at the time and emotions and sort of the way things shook out. So I, I think that part is, is kind of like my fan theory, uh, like from, from like the plot perspective is, is it's not actually happening. I think I, I, I can agree with that. It's a little weird how that conversation goes. So I definitely, I definitely feel like that could be an accurate thing. Because in, in previous uh, times when he enters her room, he doesn't knock. He's not like at the door. He like barges into the room because he doesn't knock on the door because he doesn't feel like he needs to. But in this case, he's like almost like super respectful and like I almost feel like they could have done more and have him like fade away or something like a ghost. Like he wasn't even there or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm like totally too far into it. No, I, I think you're I think, I think you're fine. right because um it what is it that uh Emily's imagination is clearly extremely powerful and it's a very big part of the show and she can imagine really crazy things like she imagined the wedding with uh with Ben uh in the final episode and she imagines the bee hallucination and she imagines death you know I think that's that totally could happen it just seems very realistic because it's 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 a real it's real people yeah it's two characters we've seen before and they look as if they were in real life but i, I think it's a hallucination or her just thinking about it and it's a visual mm-hmm. uh, visual of that happening in her brain yeah all right do we want to do season two predictions what what are we going to see in season two um, to give, I I really, I really want Emily to um, actually find her person instead of these awkward little love triangles we've seen. Mm. So I'm I'm hoping for that. I don't know if it'll actually happen. Who is her but... person, Kaziah? <sighs> See, okay. Is it somebody we already know? I don't think so. New? I I think it'd be someone new because. <sighs> I think the whole thing with Sue is so back and forth, and I do agree that she's definitely Emily's perfect match in the sense that 
she compliments her and is the parts of her that Emily lacks. But I, I don't think Sue would necessarily leave Austin for Emily. Like it would, I think it's end up being this roundabout thing that we keep seeing. And so I don't want that for Emily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping it's someone new, even if Sue is a good, a good match for her. Mm-hmm. Will we see George return? That's that's my one thing is I wonder will George return this season or is he gonna not we're gonna forget about him in the season two and then he's we're, gonna we're show gonna up in season three so uh, his new show comes out yeah <laughs> um I think my predictions is uh, well obviously Sue will probably have the baby and I'm curious to see how they handle the medical complications with that um, as we've noted before um, with Sue. <laughs> Hold on. Do you think Sue is going to die having her baby? I don't think so. Because, oh. Duncan, what's Sue's full name? Uh, Susan Huntington. Sue Gilbert. Gilbert. Sue Gilbert Dickinson. I don't think she dies. I don't think she dies in childbirth. I feel no. Like she, she, she actually lives, outlives Emily. So uh, okay. if they ever finish the show... Properly, it should end with Sue preparing Emily for her funeral. She oh, will die uh, in 1913. So no, I don't think she will die. I think they will probably toy with us a little bit into thinking she will die. But I don't think they'll take a creative liberty to eradicate her character completely. Hey guys, just know your history and you'll be fine. You won't be scared. Yeah, it's like the Titanic. This is a show. It's not a hundred percent accurate. They could change something just because it it'll be better. Yeah, there was two. There was room for two on the door, Jack. That's all I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that'll be interesting. I think. Uh, what, what other predictions do we have? I don't. I don't. Those More are the death. only ones I can think of. More death. <laughs> More death. Do we? Are we going to lose an, another? Uh, a character, important character in this season? More Wiz Khalifa is what I mean. More wi- well, death only shows up at, in two oh. instances. If someone dies or someone's trying to kill themselves. Mm, okay. I, I, I see. I see. I, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I, I just want to see more, more of his character because he's really interesting and they always play fun music when he shows up. And it's, it's definitely... The most unique thing about this show is the way it's handled. I don't listen to all the music in this show normally. I, I, I think it's <laughs> funny. Um, in the cast list, there is listed uh, Finn Jones as playing mm-hmm. a character named uh, Samuel Holmes. I'm trying to look up who that could be. He could. Be. He's not, he could... not a real character. Manufactured. Maybe. He could be an amalgamation of other people. Yeah, so I don't know, but Finn 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 Jones is no small actor, so I wouldn't imagine that his character is small. Um he's casted for multiple episodes in the next season. So some some things for you to, to maybe chew on. 
he might be another another lover, perhaps, to to Dickinson. Ooh. Who knows? Uh, if you've watched Game of Thrones, you've seen Finn Jones. He's he's the main actor in Iron Fist as well. Um, he's he's a pretty prominent boy. Um, but yes, uh, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to say? That was it. I, I think we've covered every inch of Dickinson from the 1800s till now. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, also, uh, will Lavinia be with the Falconer when the season starts? Oh, the Falconer. I forgot about him. Yeah, he's... <laughs> he's very interesting. That was so weird. That I, I said to Jared, like, right as it... As it uh, that's how dating works now. That's not how dating worked back then. Like, she, look at somebody and just like immediately kiss, and then like adding each other on Facebook is third base. <laughs> oh, are you are you trying to poke fun at me, Duncan? What? What? You don't use Facebook. Oh, you use Facebook Messenger. You don't use Facebook prop. Uh, yeah, sure. When she heart likes. <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, it's called Love, Jared. <laughs> Alright, well, I think that's a good stopping okay. point. Um, but uh, thank you for joining us. This one went exceptionally long. Um, we're at two, two hours and four, 40 minutes. So, that'll be good. I have two podcasts to edit this week that are two and a half hours plus. So, Do we have any idea what's coming after this this episode? Uh, Indiana Jones. Okay, Indiana Jones. Indiana so Jones will be our week, next. Be prepared. Our next episode. For an adventure. Uh, it'll probably be in two weeks. Um, next week I will be uploading the podcast versions of these episodes, and Should I, I might a, do a Twitch stream with my brother. Heads up for that. Ah. Um, yes. Um, but that might be a good time. So, uh, yeah, you guys get the week off. Um, but we'll be watching Indiana Jones intermittently. We just started our marathon. Um, do you guys want to continue watching tomorrow? I really, yeah, I really enjoyed Indiana Jones. I I had not actually seen that movie, you know. So yeah, let's let's do that tomorrow. Cool. Looking forward let's to it. it. All right. Well, uh, I'll just say bye for now. Um, you guys can stick around for just a couple more minutes. But uh, yeah, thanks for watching, guys.